You are listening to Devan's Baby Buzz podcast. Devan is the Delaware Valley chapter of the National Association of Neonatal Nurses. Devan's Baby Buzz is a podcast addressing the hot topics in neonatal nursing. The program features interviews with various experts and is hosted by the Devan Board of Trustees. We are offering expert opinions, helpful tips, and honest advice. For more information on our chapter or to suggest a podcast topic, please check out our website, devannurses.org. Thanks for tuning in. Good evening, and welcome to Devan's Baby Buzz podcast. My name is Jennifer Hart, your podcast host. Tonight, I will be co-hosting with Katie Barringer, a Devan board member and a clinical nurse expert at a large NICU in the Philadelphia area. We will be hosting with expert Callie Rhodes. Callie is a nurse practitioner at the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia and works in the general surgery division at the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia, where she works closely with the GERD clinic. Her area of expertise is reflux, and we are really excited to have her on the show tonight to talk more about signs and symptoms of reflux, treatment, and what you guys can be doing at home to better manage your little babies that might be experiencing this. Callie, Katie, welcome to the show. Thank you. Great. Thanks for having us, Jen. All right, Kali. So great to have you here tonight. Thanks for being here. I'm excited to be here. All right. So let's start just with the basics. Um, What Mm -hmm. is GER or GERD, gastroesophageal reflux? So um, gastroesophageal reflux or reflux for short, which is probably what most people um, kind of know it as or call it. It's just basically when food or liquid or stomach contents kind of refluxes or flows backwards instead of moving down through the stomach, it flows up into the esophagus. Okay. So going along with that, how can you tell that a baby might be experiencing this? It's really hard to communicate with our babies since they don't have words and, right, and right. a lot of their cries can sound similar. So so what are some signs and symptoms that we might notice on the outside if this is happening on the inside to a baby? So it's, uh, I think it's important to note too that a lot of babies have reflux just from the fact that they have you know, a weak sphincter in between their esophagus and their stomach. So Mm -hmm. it's not uncommon for babies to have reflux symptoms. Um, And those symptoms would be, of course, if you see them spitting up, that's kind of a symptom of reflux. We have always seen, or we've all seen, I should say, babies that spit up sometimes. Um, They may also be very fussy around mealtime. They may seem like they are almost arching away from the bottle or the breast when you're trying to feed them. So some of those things, it can, it's hard in babies because a lot of things could mean a lot of different things. (laughs) But when you're looking for reflux, those are some of the symptoms tend to kind of be around mealtimes and bottle feedings and breastfeeding sessions. You'll notice Um, just irritable symptoms, um, spitting up afterwards, or if they may seem very, very fussy after a feed, arching, things like that. Yeah, yeah, I've definitely seen that in some babies before, even in my own Mm -hmm. children when they were small, they did a lot of spitting up and a lot of crying. Yeah, yeah. So for for those of us that aren't that familiar with, with babies and handling them, how do you know how much crying is normal and then how much crying you should be concerned about and, or what time of day we're kind of looking for yeah. um, that meaning it could be reflux? So um, most babies, when you, when you look around and you'll, you know, nowadays with 
everyone Googling and <laughs> looking for answers, you'll see that most people say babies on average will cry about two hours, two and a half hours a day, hopefully not two hours straight. <laughs> but, you know, here and there throughout the day, they usually can be consoled. You're able to meet their need. If they're crying because the diaper is wet, you change it, you swaddle them back up, they're fine. Um, they're crying because they're hungry, you feed them. Um, if they're crying mostly around meal times, and it seems like that's what the triggering factor is, um, that could be an issue for a reflux. Or if they're crying and you notice that, you know, it's always kind of followed by spit-ups or vomiting, that could be indicative of some stomach upset or something is going on there. Mm -hmm. um, if you notice that pattern, that's usually more, hmm, is this related to the meal that they just had? Is this related to something, um, you know, reflux related? Is it, are they but like I said, with babies, it could be anything. You might also say, oh, do, do they have like a little GI bug or something like that? Mm. So um, it could be a number of things. But if you find that you have a baby that's crying more than two hours a day, you get into, is it colic? Is there something else wrong? Um, because usually m the consensus tends to be if they're crying more than three hours a day, that there's something else going on. Interesting. I, that's a great number to kind of keep in mind is that yeah. two to three hours is yeah. generally pretty normal. That's a, it a can be hard to, to keep track of, though, because yes. if you're like, oh, did they just cry for four minutes or was that five mm -hmm. minutes? Was it 20? Do I add this up? Um, you asked also about patterns during the day. If it's related to reflux or what they're, you know, eating, again, it would be sometimes you will have parents come in and they'll say when they're not eating, they're fine. Mm. And then when they're eating, it is a struggle. Mm. And so sometimes those are little things where we'll say, oh, okay. But if they're, if it's like not a time to eat, they're just kind of playing or they're, you know, doing tummy time and they're fine. Um, and it's, they'll say it's always when, you know, I start giving them the bottle or I start trying to put them to breast and they're arching and they just don't. Um, they just are almost like they're trying to run away from me or, mm -hmm. you know, then you're like, okay, that's a pattern that might be indicative of reflux or some GI thing going on. Right. Or mm -hmm. I've, I've seen before where babies will almost be so excited to eat, it seems, and giving a lot of feeding readiness cues. Right, so, right. you know, kind of turning their head from side to side and opening their mouth very wide. And then, mm -hmm. and then as soon as the bottle or the breast gets in and they, you know, they're very excited, but then right. once the milk starts to hit their bellies, that's when yeah. um, the crying can kind of start and they, they back away from mm -hmm. from the food source and, right, right. and seem very upset mm -hmm. then. So. And that's a perfect, like, pattern pickup that yeah. a lot of parents will see. They'll say, oh, this is what I notice. And, mm -hmm. you know, that, those are the things to keep in mind when you're looking for symptoms or things that might be concerning to you. Right, right. And... Of course, that's very frustrating a lot of times for the caregiver because mm -hmm. they they understand <laughs> yeah. that the need for the baby is that they need to eat at yes. that time and they yes. are offering that and, and the baby's excited about it. And then as soon as it starts to actually happen, it becomes an issue again. So Right, right. Yeah, so that's it's good to know that's a, that is a key sign mm -hmm. for, mm -hmm. for reflux. Yes. 
Okay, so now we know. Now that we know what to look for um, from normal versus possibly not normal anymore um, mm-hmm. for irritability or um, upset for a baby, mm-hmm. um, we had mentioned uh, gastroesophageal reflux, so GER or gastroesophageal reflux disease, mm-hmm. and then we've also talked about reflux, which can maybe be used interchangeably with those terms as well. Mm-hmm. And then we've also talked about colic. So can yes. we just talk about all those terms and sort them out a little bit? What's what? Sure, sure. Um, how are they different and things like that? Yes. So um, GER or gastroesophageal reflux is just reflux, like the just the act of fluid that's mm-hmm. in your stomach refluxing or flowing back into your esophagus, so moving up instead of moving down. So reflux, uh, like I said earlier, could be most babies have this just because the sphincter between, like the flap between Mm -hmm. the esophagus and the stomach, which usually should stay closed after you've eaten. It's just, it's young. It's immature. It's It's that tissue is not mature enough yet to stay fully closed like it normally would on an adult. So most kids will have some, babies will have some reflux that resolves as they get older and that tissue, that sphincter gets stronger. So we usually will tell parents if a baby's refluxing, but they're gaining weight, they're otherwise happy, they're growing, they're thriving, they're meeting their milestones, um, and they don't have any other symptoms except every once in a while you see that they reflux, they spit it up, and then they go back to gurgling and babbling. We say we we call them happy spitters. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I've heard that ba- before. Yeah, they're babies that are just overall fine, and their <laughs> reflux is just related to the tissue being just anatomically immature. Mm-hmm. So it's it's the nature of it's the nature of the beast, <laughs> and more of a laundry problem. And than more, <laughs> yes, more of a laundry problem. Definitely <laughs> than uh, a medical be problem. Changing the onesies pretty frequently, um, <laughs> and getting lots and lots of. Uh, um, cloth diapers to wipe things up. Yes. <laughs> but um, so when it transitions into GERD or gastroesophageal reflux disease, you are starting to have symptoms that are affecting quality of life. So mm-hmm. you're not growing, you're not gaining weight, you're having frequent ear infections, you're um, having breathing difficulties, mm-hmm. choking, coughing, gagging with feeds. Uh, decreased oral intake um, in general, like you were saying, the babies that are turning their heads away, mm-hmm. they just won't eat and um, and therefore they're not gaining weight. So so that is considered uh, refl- gastroesophageal reflux disease mm-hmm. because now we're affecting multiple systems. We can be affecting the lungs. If we're affecting growth, we're affecting, you know, mus- muscular skeletal development, things like that. Um, and then usually when we're getting to that point, that's when you're starting to get studies and you're looking at whether or not that reflux, the acid in the reflux is damaging the tissue of the esophagus. So you know, you can sometimes see that kids have strictures, which is just a tightening of a tube. So the esophagus is one long tube. Um, if it is burned enough by acid, it can stricture and wow. become a little tighter. So that's when we start to say, oh, this is a disease. It's, mm-hmm. it's starting to affect the entire child. So um, they're, not, they're not happy spitters. These kids are not happy. They are usually very inconsolable mm-hmm. a lot of the time, whether they're eating or not, um, just because it's just so far gone at that point. Um, and then colic is, so colic is interesting because it's, 
There can be an aspect of reflux that exacerbates colic, but it's just usually a, a fussiness that goes on for quite some time. And there's usually a set time frame as far as age. Mm-hmm. So, you know, usually anywhere between one to three months or so, you might notice that kids have these crying spells where you just can't get them settled and you just don't know what to do. But then they usually grow out of colic. So you, you don't see like an eight-month-old being you know, colicky or having colic, but you can see an eight month old with reflux still and mm-hmm. with reflux disease. Um, so that is a fine line because you could say, oh, are they crying because they have colic and they're just kind of fussy and they're, you know, some, there are some theories that colic is just the baby's nervous system organizing and getting mm-hmm. used to everything. Interesting. <laughs> um, and so it, it could be colic, but or are they crying because they have reflux and the acid is very uncomfortable and, you know, things like that. So that's, it's hard when they're in that certain age group. And, you know, usually that's parents will seek out help at that point and see a pediatrician and kind of get a full assessment from there. Interesting. Okay. Mm-hmm. So the, the colic piece is, is specific to a certain age and usually, yeah, okay. the, the thought is that um, colic is usually in the smaller infants, the younger infants, I should say, not not smaller, but mm-hmm. younger <laughs> infants. Um, and then if you are still having those types of symptoms and they're, you know, six, seven, eight, nine months old, that's not colic. Um, younger younger babies will have colic, but an older baby who is still very miserable or mm-hmm. if they're just fussy, crying more than three hours a day, mm-hmm. something else is going on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay, that's great. Thank you so much for that clarification mm-hmm. with all the terms. Mm-hmm. Um, so, okay, so now let's say um, your baby does have reflux mm-hmm. um, and you're at home with this baby. What kind of things can we do to help make that baby a little bit more mm-hmm. comfortable um, just at home? Yeah, so if it's, um, you know, reflux, like I said, a happy spitter who you're just mm-hmm. like, okay, I just, you know, it breaks my heart to see my baby spit up all the time, even though they're growing and, and look great and they're, they're otherwise well, you can do a couple of things. So um, there's a thought also behind this next kind of this, um, I guess, tip <laughs> or what, mm-hmm. whatever you might want to call it, um, about air, swallowing air being part of something that exacerbates reflux. Oh, interesting. Um, all of these things, you know, because we don't do tons and tons of research on kids, mm-hmm. these are all mm-hmm. kind of like, hmm, theories, this is what we think might exacerbate it or make it worse. Um, so they'll say if you are Usually breastfed babies don't have to worry about gulping air, but um, or gulping too much air when they're when they're feeding. They can usually get, if they're getting a good latch and a good seal. But if mm-hmm. you have um, bottle fed babies, might get drink a lot of air depending on how the bottle is angled and if they finish the bottle and they keep sucking at the air. So the air has to either go up or go down, um, and if they need to burp you just have to make sure they burp a lot (laughs) so some of the kids Mm -hmm. may need frequent burping if you're giving a bottle and they're chugging it down and you're like oh man they drink really fast Uh, they probably also drink a lot of air Mm -hmm. so a lot of times we'll counsel families and and say when half the bottle's done burp burp the baby Mm -hmm. then give the other half then burp them again Um, sometimes you might have to stop two or three times in a bottle especially if they're a fast drinker Um, so that 
is one thing to do. Another thing is you can try. It's very hard to get them not to drink a lot of air, <laughs> but that's hard. Like you said, if you have a baby who's drinking and then they're looking around and then they, you know, um, tip the bottle a certain way because they tip their head a certain way, air can get into the nipple and then right. they might drink drink um, uh, more air. Mm -hmm. uh, but again, if, if that happens, we just say frequent burping. You can pace them while they're drinking. If they are chugging a lot, you can just kind of like after, you know, maybe 10 sucks, mm -hmm. take a break, burp, whatever the case may be. It's, it's hard to do those okay. things, though, sometimes, especially if they're really hungry and they're really eating well and you're just happy they're eating. Right. And then you're <laughs> asking right. them to take a break. <laughs> right. So sometimes the I, I won't say easiest because this is a time um, uh, time consuming thing to do. But um, sometimes we'll just say, OK, if they eat, just make sure you're burping them afterwards or whenever they need to be burped. Um, and then just keep them upright for about 30 minutes after mm -hmm. after each um, each meal. So that I always tell moms and dads and parents, grandparents, whoever's holding the baby. I'm mm -hmm. like, that can be your snuggle time. So you mm -hmm. can like kind of have them up on your shoulder. They're upright and just kind of pat their back, rub their back. They might burp and they're getting some upright time. So mm -hmm. the thought being gravity will kind of keep things down. Um, if you lay them mm -hmm. flat right after they eat, and they have reflux, that sphincter again, mm -hmm. which, you know, is pretty floppy at that age, things can just come right back up. So, so that makes sense. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So usually my go-to when I'm talking to parents is to like kind of just keep them upright after, after bottles or, or breastfeeding. And, you know, I, because I just think it also encourages kind of some bonding and because I'm like, you can hold them and snuggle with them. And oh, definitely. <laughs> so I like to kind of do two things at once. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a great idea. Yeah. And then there's all those wonderful feel-good hormones that you get exactly, too from, exactly. from that snuggle time. Exactly. Yeah. So, so I think that's a win-win if you're <laughs> if you're looking for some some uh, kind of life hacks at, at home. Oh, definitely. <laughs> those are great. Thank mm -hmm. you. So, so frequent burping. Mm -hmm. And we're going to snuggle the baby and hold them upright after a feed for at least 30 minutes. Mm -hmm. yep. mm -hmm. yeah. And is that about the time when uh, we're expecting a lot of that food to start to move through the intestines and a little further down yeah okay. usually um it's hard to tell um how fast or slow food mm -hmm. will go through uh, the system but generally speaking 30 minutes is about the average we usually will tell parents yeah okay that's mm -hmm. great 30 minutes of snuggle time uh-huh <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so so now when do I know if it's something that I should maybe call my pediatrician or, or go into the clinic or really start, you know, maybe calling the pediatrician and, and asking some more questions about mm -hmm. um, what's what's going on with my baby and is there yeah. something else that we can do to help mm -hmm. more than just these home things that we're doing to help mm -hmm. the baby? If, if you've um, put all these interventions into place and you just feel like, they're still having a lot of reflux, still very uncomfortable. Projectile vomiting is always mm -hmm. a big red flag mm -hmm. or bringing up the majority of any any feed. Mm -hmm. So if you know that they just took three ounces and then you see three ounces return in, you know, 20 minutes, mm -hmm. that's and that's a consistent finding, um, then definitely see the pediatrician. Um, the big, big things to really look for are if they haven't been taking in a lot by mouth and they have a lower um, urine output. So mm -hmm. usually with babies, we'll measure that with diapers uh, during yes. the day. So mm -hmm. if you notice that, you know, on a good day, usually your baby's making six to eight wet diapers. That mm -hmm. means they're pretty well hydrated. 
drinking well, taking in enough fluid by mouth. Um, and then all of a sudden, you know, one day there's only two diapers. Mm-hmm. The baby doesn't seem as kind of active or energetic. Um, you know, you'll, you'll get that sense, like something's wrong with my baby. Mm-hmm. And definitely I always say, see your pediatrician. If, of course, if there's any emergency at all that you think is an emergency, you can certainly call 911 or go to an emergency room. Mm-hmm. But um, if you just notice a trend, like they're doing okay, but they're not, they don't, I don't think they're really gaining weight. They still look smaller to me. They don't look like they're rounding out. They're throwing up a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, Things like that, definitely you need to see a pediatrician. Um, The other thing I just wanted to briefly say about vomiting is any vomiting that's green or bright yellow Mm. uh, requires immediate medical attention. Um, and again, if you have any projectile vomiting, especially in the younger babies, then that should be, uh, uh, addressed right away as well. Okay. That's mm-hmm. good to know what the red flags are as mm-hmm. far as the color. Mm-hmm. Um, and so now I've, I've come into my pediatrician's office and I have my, my baby with reflux and, um, and I've, I've talked with my pediatrician and, and now we've kind of made the decision that we should maybe do something to help the baby out a little bit further than just what we're doing at home. Mm -hmm. So, um, so I'm thinking that might mean some medications that Mm -hmm. we're going to need to give to the baby. Can you talk to us a little bit about Mm -hmm. what medications to expect in that situation? Yeah. So there are for acid reflux, uh, two sort of families of medications. There are, um, the PPIs, which are the stronger meds. I'll get to those in a little bit and then the h2 blockers that's usually where most pediatricians will start the h2 blockers so those are and and like most people recognize the names zantac pepsid Mm -hmm. um, so usually uh, currently we're in a state of recall with zantac so Mm -hmm. a lot of kids are getting pepsid instead okay okay (laughs) um but Either way, the H2 blocker family is fairly large. Um, There are several other ones, too. I think Axid. I've seen some kids on Axid. It seems to be dependent... It's almost geographical. (laughs) Sometimes we'll see families from New York, Mm -hmm. um, and Mm -hmm. they will be on Axid. And I I don't know if that's just an insurance thing or a mm-hmm. regional thing but <laughs> and then locally here most of the kids were on Zantac and now mm-hmm. switching over to Pepsid. Okay. But that's usually the first go to. It helps just kind of depress the acid secretion in the in the stomach. Um with the thought that, you know, if you can kind of keep the acidity down even if it doesn't stop reflux, that's, that's, I always want to let people know it doesn't stop reflux. Mm -hmm. It stops the acid from being as kind of um, corrosive to the tissue. Okay. So, cause, because we'll still have families say, Oh, I started, you know, my medicine, my medication. Um, I feel like the baby looks more comfortable, Mm -hmm. but they're still spitting up. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so we always say, okay, the baby may still spit up because that sphincter is still kind of loose and and still needs to mature and get stronger but the acid isn't making them uncomfortable because we've brought the level of acidity down so it's really a protector of your tissues of the esophagus so that you don't get a stricture or something um, more more dangerous going on so um, that's usually the first go-to and then if kids are more comfortable they Mm -hmm. don't fear eating right so you have a baby that will maybe still reflux a little bit but they don't mind eating because it doesn't burn anymore Mm -hmm. it doesn't hurt they're not arching Um, if that doesn't work 
the next step are the PPIs, and those are your Prilosex, um, Protonics, um, Nexium. Okay. So those are the stronger meds. Um, usually those will get started if the first family of medications wasn't really working or wasn't effective enough. You still have a lot of symptoms. The baby is still mm -hmm. very uncomfortable. Um, you just notice weight, still not that much weight gain. Mm -hmm. They're still not really eating well. That will be the next step. And the key, they do about the same thing as far as like stopping part of the acid production. Right. There's a whole okay. pathway in the stomach about acid production, but mm -hmm. <laughs> I won't get into into all of that. But <laughs> but um, the PPIs or like the stronger ones, they usually intervene at that last step so that the acid is not as strong. So similar situation, you just you the baby may still reflux, but right. it's not as uncomfortable. And Kali, when you say uh, PPIs, oh, yes. those are proton pump inhibitors. Uh -huh. Yes. Okay. And that's <laughs> um, all part of that acid it's pathway. It's part of that okay. pathway. The okay. proton pump is part of the last part of the acid pathway. Okay. I got won't it. Get too technical. No, that's good. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> but um, yeah, so the the so you'll hear if you if you talk to your pediatrician or another medical person, you might hear them say, "Oh, are they on a PPI?" Mm -hmm. or mm -hmm. are they or they may just say, "Are they on an acid blocker?" But you'll you'll kind of know if they say they want to start them on a stronger acid blocker mm -hmm. that you're moving into this different family of medications. Got it. Okay. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of the second line. Correct. Correct. Okay. And oftentimes you'll see that let's say they start on. Zantac, mm -hmm. and that doesn't seem to be doing the trick. And then they'll say, "Okay, well, let's. I want to add Prilosec." They may not mm -hmm. stop the first medication right away okay. because the second, the stronger medications take a little time to become therapeutic. Interesting. So okay. you can be working your way up on Prilosec, and then then your pediatrician may say, "Okay, in two weeks you can stop the Zantac because mm -hmm. the Prilosec should be doing the job." Okay. Um, and the other thing I always let families know, which most most pediatricians are pretty good about letting families know, if you get to the point where, you know, let's say your baby is a year old now, they're doing great, and you say, hey, I think they're doing pretty good. I don't think they need to be on this medication anymore. A, a medication from the first family, like your Xantax, mm -hmm. your Pepsid, things like that, those can be stopped. Like you can go in on a Thursday and say, I don't think my baby needs this anymore. And the pediatrician may say, okay, that's fine. Don't, don't give tomorrow's dose. You can't do that for the second family of medications, the Prilosex, the um, Nexium, the PPIs, mm -hmm. um, because you can have very bad rebound acid reflux. Oh. So if you stop those cold turkey, mm -hmm. a lot of times we'll get a call and the mom will say, or mom or dad or whomever, will say, oh, we we thought he was doing fine. We stopped this medicine on Monday, and, you know, they're calling us on Wednesday. He's arching again. He doesn't seem like he's himself. I feel like this is just as bad as before mm -hmm. because the body almost overcorrects mm -hmm. now that you've mm -hmm. taken away the acid suppression. It's like, oh, we can just make all this acid again and then some because we haven't made enough in the last, you know, however many weeks or months or whatever. Um, so... So those medications, we say, should be weaned off over the course of, you know, you can, your pediatrician or a specialist, whomever you see, usually will give you one to two weeks, and they'll give you a plan to wean off. Okay. Okay. Mm -hmm. That's definitely a good uh, yeah. warning to get out for sure. <laughs> yes. If you're out there currently on 
Prilosec or any PPI, don't just stop it. Yeah. <laughs> <Nope>. <laughs> get, get some guidance <laughs> on how to uh, wean it off so that you don't have uh, too many side effects. Yeah, good mm-hmm. to know. Yeah. Um, so you had mentioned, you know, maybe when your baby is a year old, um, mm-hmm. turning into a toddler a little bit and, mm-hmm. and you feel like they're getting better. Is that about the time when we would expect um, a baby to really kind of outgrow the reflux and... And start to feel a little bit better. Um, yeah, around, around it's very, <laughs> sometimes <laughs> I say 14 to 18 months, sometimes I say 12 to 16 months, any, any time around, because the literature also mm-hmm, gives mm-hmm. some varied Arrange. ages. But yes, usually it's when they themselves are more upright mm-hmm. most of the day. So mm-hmm. you're, you're getting to that stage when you're pulling yourself up, you're walking, mm-hmm. um, you know then you don't have to hold them up after every feed. They are, you know, starting table foods. They're kind of right. eating and grazing. They might just have a little bit, and they're having more solid foods, mm-hmm. and the, the sphincter is becoming more um, more stable and more strong. So okay. so usually we'll see around that time, just anatomically, they, they're they a whole different kid. Mm-hmm. <laughs> anyway, as I'm sure you know with your kids, they <laughs> right. grow yeah. up so fast, and then you're just like, oh, you're walking and running now. Okay, and it seems like you don't really have those symptoms anymore either. So right. definitely. That is exactly what I noticed with my with my children when they turned from babies into toddlers and, you know, kind of right around that one year mark is definitely Mm -hmm. when we started to wean off the medications Mm -hmm. and, and they really started feeling better. We were really lucky that they were able to outgrow it um, on their own. So, yeah. um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. But that's exactly what happens. Most kids do, I think for the the most part, if they have reflux, that's, if they're happy spitters, Mm -hmm. they tend to just outgrow it and, they just get stronger as they get older. And so, and that includes everything, their bones, their muscles, their joints, and their esophageal sphincter. Mm-hmm, definitely. <laughs> so, yeah. Everything just gets a little better once they get older. It grows with them. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so I can say also, since we're talking about medications from experience, that it can be a little challenging to get uh, little babies to take medications, especially yeah. when... Um, <laughs> It's not exactly a flavor that they're used to. Right, so, right, right. <laughs> um, I can share some, and if you have some tips on trying yeah. to help these little ones take sure, that medication sure. that they what need. Sure, what tips do you have? You have uh, definitely firsthand daily experience. Um, yeah, so I was um, definitely lucky as well that um, I feel like anything that I would put into my little baby's mouths, they loved. Yeah. Uh, so it was pretty easy. I could, um, you know, I pull up the medication in a syringe and uh-huh. kind of just squirt it into the sides of their mouth mm-hmm. or... Um, yeah. Sometimes I would take an empty nipple and and squirt the medication in directly into the nipple while mm-hmm. it's in their mouth, and uh-huh. they could suck it down that way. Yeah. Um, and uh, every once in a while, I would kind of mix it with a little bit of milk in a bottle, mm-hmm. um, just a tiny bit, um, definitely even less than half an ounce, just so that I knew that they would take that first. Right. right. Yeah. And then I could give them some more milk after that. So mm-hmm. those that was all I had to do most of the time to get yeah. them to take their medication, yeah. but. Um, I've also helped my nephew when he was very little with some, uh-huh. some intense reflux symptoms and, and yeah. there were a lot of hands involved in helping that happen. <laughs> so I didn't know yeah. if you had any further tips for that. It's, it's hard. I mean, even, even working in a hospital trying mm-hmm. to, you can see, you know, nurses who've been nurses for 20 years, you know, it's a lot of times it's a. It's it's just it's hard. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, some pharmacies will flavor your mm. medications on request, oh, that's so good they to don't know. always offer it. But if mm-hmm. you ask and say, you know, I'm picking this prescription up for my child, mm-hmm. um, 
especially if you're due for a refill mm -hmm. and maybe the first time didn't go around so well and you're like, ooh, maybe I can call them before I get this refill and ask. Um, because we do uh, call some pharmacies ourselves sometimes and when we're ordering prescribing something, mm -hmm. we'll say, if you have anything flavored, can you add that? Now, that's it's kind of parental choice uh, because right. the additives do sometimes have sugar in mm -hmm. them. So. Mm -hmm. That's a personal choice, but it's always an option, and I think you, well, I won't say always, you can call your pharmacy to see if it's an option, because they may say, oh, yes, we do have, you know, cherry syrup that we can add to that liquid um, exit or whatever the case may be, um, and you can try that. All the tips that you said are things I would have said, too, okay. like trying to kind Good of get too. in the corner <laughs> of the mouth mm -hmm. there, because usually the reflex is to just swallow if it's far enough back in your mouth mm -hmm. instead of spit mm -hmm. it out um mixing it with food or giving just a little bit in the in the nip, an empty nipple mm -hmm. um you know they're all the all the tricks of the trade <laughs> yeah well yeah knowing that about the pharmacy um flavoring but not necessarily yeah. offering to flavor the medication yeah. is is very good yeah. insider tip to know so that's great yeah and i don't know if it's um I don't know if the brand or the chain pharmacies mm -hmm. offer it a lot, but they're also um, another tip. If you, let's say you call your chain pharmacy and they say, we don't, we don't do that or we don't mm -hmm. have that. Um, a lot of little mom and pop pharmacies mm -hmm. or compounding mm -hmm. pharmacies mm -hmm. will make the medicine for you. And they tend to kind of make it a little better also for, as far as flavor, um, they'll flavor it for you. They can add the different components mm -hmm. that you need, um, which is the, it's the nature of a compounding pharmacy to kind of build the medicine from from the base up um we have a lot of families this is all anecdotal um mm -hmm. who say you know i didn't really work well with my chain local chain pharmacy so i found this nice little mom and pop pharmacy they're a compounding pharmacy and you know you know steve that's my pharmacist i know him well <laughs> he knows how to make this just right and mm -hmm. now my baby takes the medicine no problem um and they're pretty transparent the compounding mm -hmm. pharmacies they'll let you know what they're adding or or not adding or whatever the case may be um, i always advocate to parents and tell them to advocate for their kids you you certainly can ask questions of your pharmacist they they're there to help you i think we get intimidated sometimes mm -hmm. they're behind that desk mm -hmm. and you're just there and they f seem like they're rushed and you go to pick your meds up and you may not ask questions but you should um, if you have questions you should definitely ask them they are a part of your medical team for your child so I, I say ask away if you feel uncomfortable or they can't answer those questions certainly find a pharmacy that um, you agree with and support you know that support the support that they give you is there, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. So, right. That's yeah. good to know. Mm -hmm. Excellent. Um, so I think uh, kind of my final question sort of uh, with this is, um, so let's say we've done all of these things and, um, mm -hmm. and we're still pretty early on in the baby's life and, and we can tell that things are definitely affecting the baby negatively. Mm -hmm. and, um, and my doctor started to talk to me about surgery and surgical mm -hmm. interventions mm -hmm. uh, are is there anything that we can do to try and um, intervene and and help the baby to feel better from a surgical standpoint um, yeah so um, this is this is really gets into my my specialty I guess okay. because oh, I see a lot of the kids in, in our GERD clinic they're mm -hmm. all kids who have had surgical correction for their reflux okay so 
they may not have started out like that. They may have come to us and the parents have been to GI and they've been to their pediatrician and they just said, you know, I just don't know what else to do. And sometimes the the GI doctors are mm-hmm. like, we're recommending that you get surgery now because we've done, they're very good at doing all of the above, you mm-hmm. know, the medications, mm-hmm. um, recommending holding the baby up. They do all of that kind of pre-work. So really surgery is the last step. It's not something we ever want to do. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes families will come to our clinic and we still might try a couple little things before we say surgery. So we might say, let's try to maximize this, or let's try to give this med twice a day instead Mm -hmm. of once a day, or Mm -hmm. maybe you need to be on both an H2 blocker and a PPI. So we, you know, GI does that. We do that. Um, We'll send kids for lots of studies before we do that. So uh, we want to see the anatomy. We want to see how large or small your stomach is. Mm-hmm. Um, all these different studies, GI will often do an endoscopy, which is just a scope to take a look at all the tissue in the esophagus. Is the tissue affected? Are, are you seeing ulcers? Um, are you seeing signs of erosion from acid? Mm-hmm. Um, we look at the growth chart. It has, has the baby thrived or not so we get to the point where we are really trying to kind of dot all the i's cross all the t's Mm -hmm. so it does involve a lot of studies Mm -hmm. um and once you get to that point most parents are just like we'll just do whatever we need to do Mm -hmm. to figure it out um sometimes we get referrals from pulmonary Mm -hmm. so sometimes reflux ends up presenting because you know the baby's had multiple pneumonias Mm. um but they might be gaining weight still. So that clouds the picture. So they're like, they're gaining weight, but they've had these pneumonias. We're not quite sure. So we'll, you know, they'll, there are all kinds of studies that can be done. So they'll do all these studies. And in the end, oh, lo and behold, they've been refluxing mm. and maybe aspirating, um, which means basically taking a little bit of fluid into your lungs when you, when you reflux. So mm. things like that, we want to know all of that before we even talk about is there a surgical option? Um, So then if there is a surgical option or that is the next step because, you know, the baby has pulmonary disease or they're not thriving, they're not gaining weight, they're just, you know, their esophagus is, is, you know, damaged. So if that's the case and we get to the point where, yep, this is the next step is surgery, we can, instead of that sphincter, which is kind of loose, being, you know, it's loose and you're, instead of waiting, 12 months, 14 months for it to get strong, you can do a a fundoplication, which Mm. is a big fancy word to say (laughs) we can kind of tighten the stomach a little bit around the esophagus. Mm. You might also hear it called a wrap. So there, and there are different varying degrees of that surgery. And you just basically, instead of waiting for the sphincter to tighten, you do the tightening Mm-hmm. physically you like mm-hmm. you physically the surgeon I shouldn't say you or me <laughs> the surgeon <laughs> yeah the surgeon physically goes in and uses you know the, the stomach because the stomach is a mm-hmm. big reservoir so it's mm-hmm. big so you can mm-hmm. take a little bit of it pull it up and kind of do a wrap around the esophagus okay. to the theory is you know hold the fluid down mm-hmm. instead of it refluxing up mm-hmm. um, and then that's usually what the kids end up getting if they get that procedure often it also includes a feeding tube mm-hmm. because if you're keeping fluid down you also might be keeping air down so mm-hmm. these kids might not be able to vomit or a burp mm-hmm. um, and so you kind of either want the feeding tube to help them 
get food or to vent air mm. out that can't get out because you don't want a huge, big, distended belly mm-hmm. full of air. Um, so that those discussions are hard to mm-hmm. have. Um, they're difficult to have, but you, if you reach that point, you just want to make sure you're seeing someone who has done those procedures multiple times and who doesn't rush you into it. Mm-hmm. It's usually not an emergency. This is something where you need to have the studies done and that decision has to be like we've reached the last option. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that that's, if you hear rap, nissen, fundoplication, those words are usually indicative of some surgical correction of reflux. Okay, mm-hmm. excellent. Yeah. Thank you. you mm-hmm. I feel like you described that better than I've ever heard it <laughs> in my whole nursing career. Oh. <laughs> so thank you. I, I hear it described a lot at work. So, yeah. So, you know, it's, um, it's, it's something that, that we, in our clinic, we see a lot of. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And then the kids usually can outgrow their rap. So it's not, okay. um, this is kind of to get them to the point where they are growing and thriving mm-hmm. and then they get older. The wrap is usually still there, but it could get a little loose okay. and then allow them to burp and mm-hmm. they could vomit if they need to vomit. And then if they're eating everything by mouth, we can get rid of the feeding tube. So, um, you know, it's not it's not like, oh, if you have a wrap, you, you know, you'll be stuck with certain options in life like for the rest of your life it can get loose it can also just stay how it is um, Mm -hmm. but we find with kids because there are different techniques that we can use where you don't have to do a very tight rep you just do it just enough to get them get them to thrive Mm -hmm. and then as they grow older then it's not you know as tight and they're able to kind of flourish so um, but like I said, it really is the conversations that we have with families are very detailed, very thorough. There are a couple of visits usually, mm-hmm. um, depending on who's referred the family to us. So if it's you know a referral from GI, we also talk to GI. We talk to the family. We talk to radiology. If it's pulmonary, we look at the studies. We look at their lungs. All of all of these things like that. So. Um, it's it's not an easy decision for the families to make, and it's not an easy decision for the surgeon to make either, because right. you know it's um, it's not it's not benign. You know, mm-hmm. it's not something that you just go and do without thinking about it. So, so yeah, once you've gone through everything, mm-hmm. if you end up seeing seeing us or seeing the surgeon, it's it's a longer discussion. Yeah. Definitely, mm-hmm. yeah, mm-hmm. but not necessarily something that the baby or the child will have to deal with. For the rest of their life right right yeah. yeah usually we'll um you know we still follow those kids because right. we've done surgery on them so yeah. in the GERD clinic we see mm-hmm. the kids throughout you know the upcoming years and I've seen some kids from babies up mm-hmm. to now their school age they got rid of their feeding tube they mm-hmm. function normally they eat they're off of their medications so you know you get to that point where you're like oh okay this is now they're where they need to be and they just needed a little help because if we're intervening they're something has they're not thriving Mm -hmm. so they Mm -hmm. at the point when we see them they're off the growth curve they're Mm -hmm. not even charting on the chart a lot of times they'll have like I said frequent pneumonias respiratory illnesses Mm -hmm. you know um, they just they just need to get over that hump so that they can grow and their development can be 
can can be better. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I can't imagine how hard that must be for the families to make those decisions, but yeah. then to know that there is going to be growth happening and yeah. and more happiness with the mm-hmm. whole family is, is good to know. Yeah. So. Yeah. So I, th- I think it's, um, you know, when you, like I said, when you get to that point and you're having that discussion, I think it's a worthy discussion to mm-hmm. have because you've, there's only so much you can do from the medical aspect. So, right. You get to the surgical aspect and it's, um, Usually the families are kind of at their wits end. Many sleepless mm-hmm. nights have happened mm-hmm. before they for see sure. us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. Well, I'm I'm so thankful for the work that you do to help oh, these children you. and and for your expertise and for sharing oh, all you. of it with us tonight. And um, I thank feel you like for having me. I'm, I'm, this is my first podcast. Oh, so congratulations! I'm very excited to be invited. <laughs> That's wonderful. <laughs> well, we are just thrilled to have you here, and thank you for explaining everything so thoroughly. I feel like I've learned a lot. Oh, thank even you. in this podcast so thank you so much no thank you and uh we hope to do it again soon yes sure have me on anytime <laughs> thank you so much ladies have a good night and thanks for tuning in This podcast should not be used in any legal capacity whatsoever, including but not limited to establishing standard of care in a legal sense or as a basis for expert witness testimony. No guarantee is given regarding the accuracy of any statements or opinions made on this podcast. Full disclosure, our opinions are our own.